Hi everyone, I'm Debbie Roberts, owner and financial advisor at Property Apprentice. Join us today for the Week in Review, where I talk about current events for the everyday investor and home buyer. Our topics for this week, number one, from One News on the 28th of August, apartment market rising as international students return, according to CoreLogic. Second topic from landlords.co.nz on the 29th of August, restoring housing affordability. Third topic from Stuff on the 29th of August, ill-fated website highlighted anti-investor sentiment, representatives say. Fourth topic from One Roof on the 30th of August, national vows to bring back tax breaks for property investors. And fifth topic from One Roof on the 28th of August, affordable housing. This is as good as it gets for first-home buyers. So first up, from One News on the 28th of August, the gradual return of tourists and international students following the pandemic has caused a resurgence in the apartment market, according to CoreLogic. Nick Goodall, the company's head of research, pointed out that the housing market seems to be stabilising after experiencing a decline in property values for approximately two years. Goodall noted that among the different segments of the market, short-term lodging options such as apartments and Airbnb homes are showing signs of recovery at a slightly faster pace. He observed that new visitors and international students are seeking housing options that are conveniently located near city centres and offer ease of exploration. Moreover, Goodall suggested that developers could potentially navigate the housing market downturn by listing newly constructed houses on Airbnb for short-term stays. He emphasised that the income generated from short-term accommodations like Airbnb could provide valuable cash flow during challenging periods. However, Goodall cautioned that relying solely on this approach might not be feasible as a long-term business model. According to reports, Williams Corporation has already adopted this strategy by listing townhouses from its developments on Airbnb across various locations since 2021, particularly during market downturns. CoreLogic's overall housing market forecast predicts modest growth over the next year or so. Second topic from landlords.co.nz on the 29th of August, restoring housing affordability. House prices in New Zealand are ranking among the most unaffordable globally, causing a significant impact on the general population, according to a report by the New Zealand Initiative. This think tank is set to present its prescription for prosperity document to the incoming government after the October election. The initiative is concerned about the country's current situation, citing factors such as persistent inflation, an unaffordable cost of living, skyrocketing housing prices, an expanding public service, declining literacy and numeracy among students, growing waiting lists in the public health system, and a surge in domestic crime. These issues are increasingly dividing voters and jeopardizing social cohesion. The think tank emphasises that unaffordable housing disproportionately affects the poorest members of society, exacerbating poverty. It also hampers labour and creates a societal rift between property owners and those excluded from the housing market. The ongoing housing affordability crisis is not a new predicament. When the initiative was established in 2012, the housing crisis was already a prominent topic. However, over the span of the 11 years, the situation has worsened. According to the initiative's research, the fundamental cause of housing unaffordability lies in inadequate housing supply. The organisation identifies three primary underlying factors. Number one, 
planning restrictions that hinder population density increase within urban areas. Number two, barriers to urban expansion due to rural urban boundaries. Number three, the challenge of financing necessary infrastructure investments for new developments as local councils struggle to fund such projects using new rates revenue. The initiative proposes several recommendations to address these issues. First up, local government incentives. Redirect the GST or tax revenue generated by new housing and commercial buildings to local councils. This would provide resources and motivation for councils to support development infrastructure and services needed for growing populations. Now, my understanding is that that's also an ACT party policy. I could be wrong on that, so don't quote me on that. (laughs) New infrastructure funding tools. Introduce legislation to create fresh funding and financing mechanisms for local infrastructure. Long-term infrastructure bonds issued by councils and backed by specified revenue streams would would spread costs over the infrastructure's usable life. Number three, abolish rural-urban boundaries. Eliminate restrictions on building within cities' fringes. This would increase available land for development, lower the land cost, and consequently make housing more affordable. Number four, abolish height and density controls. Remove regulations that limit building height and density. This step would encourage developers to construct taller and denser buildings, increasing housing supply where it's most needed. And number five, repeal certain acts. Discard or repeal legislation related to natural and built environments and spatial planning if passed. These acts perpetuate problems and threaten housing affordability. And number six, New national planning framework. Support the government's proposal for a national planning framework that defines zones. This standardised approach would simplify planning and development for developers and reduce uncertainty. Number seven, zoning caps and floors. Limit the proportion of land designated as least and most permissive by councils facing affordability challenges. This approach ensures councils won't excessively restrict planning policies which can lead to housing shortages and higher prices. Number eight, replace the RMA. In the long run, the Research Management Act, or RMA, should be replaced with a new planning regime that respects property rights and uses market mechanisms to address development externalities. If you'd like to learn more about investing in property, join me at one of our free events called How to Succeed with Property Investing in 2023. I'll discuss strategies for successful investing from my perspective as a financial advisor. And these are available live, online, or in person in our office in Allersley in Auckland. Check out propertyapprentice.co.nz for upcoming dates and register today. Remember, we don't sell property, so it's all about increasing your knowledge to reduce your risk. If you've already been to one of our free events and would like to find out more about how we can help you to reach your financial goals, You can also book a no-obligation phone call or meeting with my husband, Paul Roberts, via our website, which is propertyapprentice.co.nz. Third topic for this week in review from Stuff on the 29th of August, ill-fated website highlighted anti-investor sentiment, representatives say. A website that once offered insight into landlords' property portfolios has been removed, Yet its existence underscored a growing anti-property investor sentiment, claim representatives for both investors and tenants. The website, called whatdoesmylandlordown.org, or WDMLO, which is a bit of a tongue twister, 
This was taken down earlier this year. However, the Office of the Privacy Commissioner recently released findings about the site, describing it as a cautionary example in an increasingly data-driven world. The website had garnered complaints in February as it aggregated data from the Toitu Te Whenua Land Information New Zealand, or LINS, under license, which was enabling users to discover property ownership details through an address search. Upon investigation, the Privacy Commissioner's Office found inaccuracies, specifically in mistakenly attributing property ownership to individuals with common names. The steps taken to address this were deemed inadequate, prompting the termination of the LINS license due to Privacy Act non-compliance. This situation raised concerns about privacy breaches and misrepresentation. Property owners voiced worries about potential home address exposure and inaccurate portrayals of their ownership. Serena Gibbon from the Auckland Property Investors Association, we love Serena, highlighted the misuse of personally identifiable data for political purposes, leading to confusion and potential harm. She argued that the website could have achieved its goal without causing harm to individual property owners. Geordie Rogers of Renters United shared concerns about privacy breaches and emphasised the need to protect people's information, whether they're landlords or tenants. He noted a desire for transparency regarding investment property ownership. Renters United also expressed concern about a service introduced by Illion Tenancy, which notifies landlords when their tenants move properties. Rogers considered this service an invasion of renters' privacy and urged respect for privacy principles. In a climate of increasing division, there's a call for collaborative efforts between landlords and tenant groups to address housing supply shortages, power imbalances, and promote a fair rental environment. And I couldn't agree more that that sort of change is desperately needed. We need each other. You know, landlords need tenants, and tenants need someone who's willing to provide rental accommodation. So absolutely, we should be working together to resolve these issues. Topic number four from One Roof on 30th of August, National Vows to Bring Back Tax Breaks for Property Investors. Can I just say, yay! The National Party has unveiled a tax policy aimed at reversing several property-related measures implemented by the Labour Party, claiming that mum and dad investors have been treated as speculators. The policy includes restoring full interest deductibility for rental properties, reducing the Bright Line test from 10 years down to two years, and reversing the foreign buyer ban for properties worth over $2 million. National's finance spokesperson, Nicola Willis, stated that if elected, property investors could claim 50% interest deductibility from 1st of July next year, increasing to 75% in 2025 and 100% in 2026. She criticised the Brightline test, calling it capital gains by stealth. This test currently requires landlords to pay tax on gains when selling investment properties within 10 years of purchase, although it also can trap your family home as well if you, ha- if you move out of your family home for 12 months, and that's been in the media quite a bit. Actually, I was interviewed by ZB, News Talk ZB recently, so you know, check out that uh, recording if you'd like to hear more about my thoughts on that and more detail around that bright line trapping, you know, trapping homeowners and that capital gains tax. National leader Christopher Luxon claimed that Labor's policies had raised rents by $75 a week 
and argued that the reintroduction of tax deductibility and the reduction of the Brightline test would alleviate rental pressures. However, he did not directly address how these savings would lead to reduced rents, emphasising the overall benefits of National's tax policies for renters. The party asserted that their tax policies would support landlords' market presence, prevent tenants from transitioning to public housing lists, and maintain a balanced rental environment, which in effect would stabilise rent increases. You know, more rental properties available would help with that supply and demand imbalance that we're currently seeing. While Willis acknowledged some landlords raising rents due to increased costs, she argued that National's policies would improve the situation. Luxon did not confirm whether the newly proposed tax prices would be ring-fenced or open to negotiation with coalition parties. National also indicated its intention to generate an average of $525 million a year by ending the commercial building depreciation tax break. Experts like Chris Fahey, head head of insights at Bailey's, suggested that National's tax policy could impact both the lower and upper ends of the residential property market. The reinstatement of interest deductibility and a shorter Brightline test might stimulate investor demand, which could affect pricing and liquidity in the market. CoreLogic's Nick Goodall emphasised that the policy aimed to increase demand in the market, which could lead to stronger prices, particularly in light of current high interest rates. However, the changes are not expected to yield immediate results. On the political front, ACT leader David Seymour criticised National's tax policies saying they were reminiscent of Labour's approach and emphasised the need for change. So my thoughts on the increasing prices is that whenever there's an increased demand in the property market, that can have an effect on pricing. But what you need to remember is that the number of investors in New Zealand is actually pretty small. It's about 2.4% of the population and 78% of property investors only own one rental property. So, you know, the majority of property investors are the mum and dad landlords who bought one rental and they're done. All right. So, yeah, I think if you're worried you know, as a home buyer or if you know someone who's looking at buying their own home and you're worried about rapidly increasing prices with these changes, proposed changes, uh, I think the people that you should be more concerned about are other home buyers and movers, you know, people who are either upsizing or downsizing their home. Because emotional buyers will always tend to pay more for a property than a property investor who's buying based on the numbers. Okay, As investors, we try to take as much emotion out of that process as possible. So last topic for this week in review from One Roof on the 28th of August, affordable housing. This is as good as it gets for first-home buyers. Here are the key insights about the housing market this week from CoreLogic Chief Economist Calvin Davidson. Number one, slightly improved affordability. Housing affordability has seen a slight improvement recently due to falling house prices, rising incomes and more stable mortgage rates. However, homes in New Zealand certainly aren't considered cheap. Affordability might not get better as house prices have started stabilising, making this a relatively favourable time for aspiring buyers. Longer-term improvement would require sustained housing supply growth, surpassing population changes, and debt-to-income mortgage ratios could enhance this effect if introduced in 2024. So the debt-to-income mortgage ratios, that's a tool that the Reserve Bank has got in its toolbox now, 
And I would imagine that they would only implement those debt-to-income mortgage ratios if they need to slow down the housing market again and the um, deposit restrictions weren't having the desired effect. Number two, increase in low deposit finance and bank switching. The Reserve Bank reported $5 billion in mortgage loans for July, continuing a 23-month decline in mortgage lending. Notably, lending to owner-occupiers with high loan-to-value ratios, or LVRs, above 80%, increased from 6.4% in June to 9.1% in July, following rule adjustments in June. The share of lending to investors with LVRs of 60-65% to also continued to rise. Bank switching has become more popular due to competition, with data indicating an impact on purchase loans and top-ups. Switching banks when there's cashback deals on offer can certainly be a good way of looking at paying down your mortgage, depending on your situation. Number three, significance of labour market. The strong labour market, characterised by low unemployment and steady employment growth, has aided households in adjusting to rising mortgage rates. This has helped maintain low loan repayment arrears and mortgagee sales. The upcoming update on filled jobs for July will provide insights into ongoing labour market growth. Number four, potential for another recession. The New Zealand Activity Index, or NZAC Index, for July, a precursor to the official GDP figures, will shed light on the likelihood of another recession. While New Zealand emerged from a recession in April to June, there's a belief that a double-dip recession might occur in the later part of this year. Another recession could actually cap further increases in the OCR and mortgage rates because the OCR is designed to either stimulate the economy or reduce spending to help cut inflation. So number five from CoreLogic, the construction sector slowdown. July's new dwelling consent data set to be released by Stats New Zealand is expected to show a decline, continuing the slowdown in the construction sector. Although the slowdown might not trigger an immediate snapback in house prices over the 6-12 to 12 month period, a significant drop in new house construction could elevate the risk of shortages in the medium term. Waiting for the perfect time to buy property can be counterproductive. The property market is unpredictable and trying to time it perfectly can lead to missed opportunities. Property prices, interest rates and market conditions are constantly changing. Instead of waiting for that perfect moment, it's often better to focus on your financial readiness and your long-term goals. If you'd like to learn more about the property market, join me at one of our upcoming free events called How to Succeed with Property Investing in 2023. As a seasoned property investor and licensed financial advisor, I'll be sharing valuable insights and expert tips on how to get you on your journey. Whether you're thinking about buying your first home or you're already an experienced investor, there's something for everyone at our free events. I'll also tell you more about how we can help our clients achieve their financial goals. So if you're interested in finding out more about what we do, visit Property Apprentice today, propertyapprentice.co.nz to secure your spot and register for one of those events. Feel free to come armed with questions because I do answer as many questions as I can. Just please understand that I can't answer individual financial questions about your position because I don't know anything about your individual financial situation. All right. So the alternative, if you've already been to one of our events or you're not interested in attending a free training session, 
You can book a no obligation phone call or meeting with my husband, Paul Roberts, through our website as well. That's propertyapprentice.co.nz. Thanks for listening.